section of scripture God to teach to us. Romans 15, 1 through 7. I'm going to ask that you stand in God's honor as I read aloud. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let's pray. Lord, how awesome it is for us to gather this morning After all, this is the day when all hope seemed just a memory. Jesus was placed in a tomb. It seemed like hope was gone, but then it was just the beginning. As it was obvious that death was conquered, the resurrection had occurred, that Jesus was alive. It's still the same today, we lose sight of hope, and we miss you. You are the resurrected one. You are the one that gives hope. You're the one that gives life. and That's to be the driving passion of the church. Sometimes we get sidetracked and unfortunately miss the real enemy. We fight each other. Forgive us, God. Turn our attention back to where it belongs, to your kingdom, to people who need you, and to being part of your body, your family, God. Uh, just guide us in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> guy came by in a car and he stopped and he asked a little boy, he said, you know where the Reformed Church is? The little boy thought for a minute and he said, yeah. He said, you keep going down this road, a block, and um, as you go down the road, he says, you'll see a Baptist church. And he says, there, he says, take a right. And he says, then um, you go another block and you'll see a Methodist United Church. And he says, then you go a little bit further and on your left, there's the Reformed Church, and it's, but it's not united. You know, isn't that tragic? There are a few things more tragic to me than a church that's struggling. Than God's people who are not united. And we see it. You know, I think of that phrase, friendly fire. You know, that's a phrase where sometimes the army, there's a great tragedy. And another soldier is killed from one of his own soldiers. And he becomes part of friendly fire. And that happens among God's people. Where suddenly there's a disagreement. And, and, and you know, and then people's hearts begin to come together and, 
and, and a hurt. And you know, I had a teacher when I was in college, it's interesting, uh, Dr. Godwin, he always said, it's okay to bump heads, just don't ever bump hearts. And, and, and you know, that's, that's the goal. It's, it's not about always agreeing. It's about always having the same heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That, that, that's, that's the ultimate heart of, of where God wants us um, to be in following him. Um, too often we get it mixed up. The call is unity, not uniformity. Uniformity means that we're all exactly alike. We dress alike, we think alike, we act alike. And if we don't, and you're out of line, and you're in trouble... That's not the call. Man, we're different. God has gifted us in different ways. We think differently. We have different opinions. But that's not to weaken us. It's actually to strengthen us. You know, you can have uniformity and not unity. Um, Think about it this way. You can take two cats, tie their tails together, throw them over a clothesline. You've got uniformity. You don't have unity. The goal in the church is not uniformity. It's unity. It's okay to disagree, but we need to disagree agreeably. We need to keep the right things in mind. As you look in Romans 14, as you go through the chapter, there were some disagreements in the church. The main issue in that day um, dealt with the eating of meat that was offered to idols. People take this meat and they didn't care where it came from. And then there's this argument by those in the church that said, you can't eat that meat. It had been offered to idols and, and, and therefore it's not holy. And, and man, that's going to, that, that's going to, it's just wrong. And you have other believers that say, hey, listen, it's by the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't care where that meat came from. I like steak and I want to eat it. And, and so there was this big fight. Well, today, I mean, you know, there's not too many that are going to get in a big fight of where that uh, piece of meat came from, you know, and, and, and that's not the argument. Or they also was arguments as you look through chapter 14 on different holy days. But we do have different types of disagreements today that we argue about. Sometimes getting a big fight. <laughs> it was said back in the day of when God was moving through um, George Whitfield and the Wesleys, John and Charles Wesley. And they came together doing a great work together. But then they got into an argument, you know, over that great thing of predestination, you know, that God's chosen us was through Whitfield's preaching, and then the Wesleys were on, but we have a choice, we are to choose. <laughs> and they were extreme, and it became these, these people that both loved the Lord, but it ended up, they, they went separate ways because they couldn't work together. But you know what? They bumped heads, but they didn't bump hearts. Just because they weren't working in the same particular ministry did not mean they weren't doing God's ministry. They still loved each other. They just had to go different paths in their service to God. Of course, I love D.L. Moody when he was preaching. They asked him about that, you know. How do you reconcile that? That It's God's choice that we're the chosen ones, but we must choose. He said, who are the elect? And Moody said, well, the chosen ones are those who choose Jesus. I can't figure all that stuff out. That's not the goal, but it's not to keep me from fellowship. We have these things we don't understand, and we want to separate one another. It made me think of Paul and Barnabas. It's interesting as you look in the book of Acts, you know, you start out, you got Barnabas and his name, actually Joseph, his nickname was Barnabas and it meant son of encouragement. He was the kind of guy who was always encouraging other people that were around him. And you remember Paul was the outsider. Man, he used to be the ultimate bad guy and Christians had to tiptoe around him because, you know, what might happen because he persecuted 
Christians, but God got a hold of his heart. And, you know, there still wasn't a trust factor. You know, if you had relatives that ended up being thrown in prison and beaten and lost their jobs because of a certain guy, you wouldn't want to trust him either. But Barnabas came in and said, give Paul a chance. And then as you read through Acts, it's interesting. It starts out Barnabas, then it becomes Barnabas and Paul. Then it becomes Paul and Barnabas. And then it ends up Paul. But you don't read about Barnabas' jealousy in that. It talks about a mission trip where Barnabas and Paul were serving. And John Mark, who came with him, he was a young missionary. and doesn't tell us why he left, but he left. And when he left, that caused dissension. It caused an issue, caused a, a, a problem. And, and so when it came time to go out again, Barnabas said, let's bring John Mark. And Paul said, oh, no way. I'm not going to bring him. He failed us. He let us down. And I believe Barnabas was probably quick to say, well, wait a minute, Paul. I remember when nobody wanted to accept you. And, and I give him a chance. It took a while for them to give you a chance. So it says there was a sharp disagreement it wasn't even about who was right or who was wrong, but it was at a point where they needed to go separate ways. Did it stop God's work? No, God's work continued. They just went different directions as, as God was using them. And, and you know, as, there's this verse, Paul may have been thinking of this when, when he thought about um, John Mark letting them down. It's Proverbs 25, 19. He says, like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. But I thought, man, he, he's unfaithful. We can't, we can't trust him in, 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 in what's going on here. And so anyway, there's this picture. As we get back to our text in Romans 14, 19, we read, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Let's not minor on the major and major on the minors. Let's not nitpick, tear each other apart. He says, let's look for mutual edification. There was that problem in the church over me. There are other problems that break out among God's people. And Paul gives this command. He says, make every effort within your strength where, where there's peace, beautiful education, not tearing each other apart. Then in verses 21 through 24, um, just briefly, he gives some teaching. He says, first in verse 21, be considerate. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Show some sensitivity. Say you disagree with this person. Don't do it just to make them mad or tick them off. <laughs> Be sensitive to them. Be considerate. Um, then in verse 22, uh, you know, have conviction. Be convinced. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Know what you believe. Have a, have a sense of conviction. That's real important. And then third, be consistent with it. Notice in verse 23. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Live what you preach. Be consistent. Don't say one thing and, and, and do another and... And, and, and that's the advice he gives as he comes to the, our chapter here, our text today in 15. And he starts out, he says, the strong bear with the failings of the weak, not to please themselves. He starts out here, he says, guys, when you're arguing amongst one another, you're forgetting why you're here. It's not about your opinion. 
It's not about your preference. It's not merely about what you like. It's about Jesus. And it's about people that need Jesus. It's about God's people who are hurting and not forgetting them, not missing them, but having a heart to help them in the body of Christ. And it's about people outside the body of Christ that have no hope. Man, they don't even know what to do. They're hurting so deeply. He says, don't miss the kingdom of God. Don't miss what matters and become distracted. You know, when we do fight one another, we forget why we're here. And we forget what we're to be about. And we forget the hope that we're to have. It's to offer support. Look at verse 2. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. It's about building up. It's not about tearing down. It's, It's about a sensitivity to one another. And I want to go too far here. It's not about, I mean, some people just got to have their way and they'll run over the top of you. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you just always give in to somebody and let them run over the top of you because there's always some of those people out there that'll do that. But it's about following Christ and being a support to one another. Look at Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. Wonderful rule of thumb here to follow from the scriptures. Paul writes, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I still were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul gives the simple biblical truth here. He says, who is it that you're trying to please? Whose approval is most important? People or God? Who ultimately matters the most? People or God? It's interesting here as he writes this, we think of Paul, you know, he's this bold missionary and he's strong and he's going to stand for the truth and all that. But as you look here in verse 10, notice what he says here at the end of it. He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, still means one point. Yeah, I was a, I was always thinking about what other people thought. I was the people pleaser. So, but I had to come to some point where I said, God, ultimately, I want to please you. Not that I want to make everybody mad around me. But God, you're the one that ultimately is who I want to please. Not, not just people, but you. <coughs> I'm following you. That's ultimately what matters. And, and the perfect illustration of this, back to our text in Romans 15, is Jesus. And notice he says here in verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. You know, there's that beautiful section of Scripture in Philippians 2 where it says, have that same attitude that's in Christ Jesus. Or or in some translations, that same mind. Where he talks about that um, being in very nature with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But it says he made himself nothing. Um, in the King James, says he emptied himself of reputation. He, he he humbled himself completely, and and he took the very nature of man, being made in human likeness, and and he went to the cross willingly. That's how he humbled himself, and and then it goes on to say how God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name that every knee should bow before Christ. Every tongue confess he's Lord. But, th- but there's that picture of, of humility. That, that picture of, of being willing to 
to humble themselves before others. And he's quoting here from Psalm 69. And, and it's great here as Paul is preaching and as he's thinking about this quote here, this where it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And as he started thinking about God's word, as he got to thinking about what was written in the past, that suddenly goes off track here, but it's not on track because it's the inspiration of God by the Holy Spirit. And, and we have verse 4 where he jumps in here. He says, everything that was written in the past, this book, these scriptures, this which we have, his, his holy word, this is not an accident. This is God's truth given to us, revealed to us everything that was written in the past. Why was it written? Why do we have this book? was written to teach us. Teach us what? That through endurance, man, to be able to keep on keeping on, to be able to hang in there, to have that stick to that through this book there is a strength that is given by the Spirit of God to endure through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. That we might be encouraged, not discouraged. Why? That we might have hope. And that's, that's what it is about. It is hope. Hope that needs to bubble out of us and that is given to a hopeless world. That's what God wants to give. That's what he wants to pass on. And then as you come to verse 5 here, if you're not careful, it almost looks like a benediction. almost looks like the end of a sermon. But it's not. He, listen to it. He says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement. It's interesting. Verse four, it talks about that's what God does through the scripture. May he give you that endurance and that encouragement that, that, that the result, a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that's just sounds like a benediction sounds like the end sounds like a place where paul's ready to cut off but as they say you know what does it mean when a preacher takes off his watch absolutely nothing it's it's not the end of the message as he shares those words but it is the heart of god shown look at the next verse he moves on as he shares that talks about that peace glorifying god accept one another then how just as Christ accepted you. So it starts. Christ accepted you. We worry about God. I want to earn my way to you. That's what the cross is all about, guys. Christ accepted you. How are we to love as we've been loved? How are we to accept as we've been accepted? What happens when we accept one another in the way Christ has accepted us? See what it says? It brings praise to God. For God, it's a worship service. When we accept one another as Christ has accepted us. That's the mighty work that God is able to do. Hey, when a, you know, in, in, in sports, normally the team that wins is the team that plays together. I mean, you know, it's great to have superstars. You may have a superstar quarterback, but if you don't have a team, an offensive line that's protecting him, he's not going to be alive too long. He's going to be broken in pieces eventually. He's got to have supporting cast around him. 
And that's true in any sport. I could go example to example. You look at beautiful music. You look at an orchestra. It may be great that you have an individual um, musician who plays beautifully and may be considered, you know, the best at that instrument. But it's the whole orchestra together that brings the beauty of the music, not just the one instrument, but it's the orchestras that plays together and the beautiful music comes together. That's how it is among God's people. It's interesting here as you look at verse eight. um, He says, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews. And then he goes on through verses nine through twelve and he talks about the Gentiles. Two different backgrounds, two different cultures that are coming together. But what brings them together? Jesus. Is what brings them together. As we said in verse 5. As he gave that benediction. <laughs> he says. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. Give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. As you follow Christ Jesus. It's not where we disagree. That counts as much as. Where we agree. Jesus Christ is to be the target. He is to be the one in, to whom we aim. He is, he is the heart that brings us together to serve. And that's when the world's going to take notice. Turn me as I close. I want to look in John 13. This is the section of scripture where Jesus is gathered with his disciples. Before that, they've been arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Here we've got God, who is the ultimate servant. And these guys still don't get it. They want an argument over who's going to sit next to Jesus in glory, in heaven. And and they're, you know, after being number one, Jesus gives them this great example through the scriptures as they sat down at the last meal. And it turned me down to verse 14. Where he says, um, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant's greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now, it's interesting as you look there at verse 14. As you read the first part of the verse, he says, Now that I, the Lord, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, wash my feet. If it was, you know, that, that, that's the way we think. Now that I've washed your feet, it's your turn to wash my feet. And I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Our Savior who died for us have some opportunity to humble ourselves before Him and do something for Him. But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, guys, it's your turn now to wash my feet. That's that's what's expected, but that's not what He says. Instead, He says, you should also wash one another's feet. The ultimate servant says, this is not... Merely about you serving me in this manner. But you serve me ultimately when you serve one another. When your vision is not just simply inward. But it is outward. 
when you're able to see beyond yourself, when you're able to look out, that's when you're able to love me. Hey, love comes by washing stinky feet. That's, that's where he's going. That's what he's saying. Look at verses 21 and 22. It says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. So here he's washed their feet. And then he said to them, wash one another's feet. And then he says, one of you guys are going to betray me. Boy, how vulnerable. They're looking around. They're saying, I wonder who it is. I wonder if it's John. I wonder if it's Peter. I wonder if it's Nathaniel. I wonder if it's me. I wonder if it's me. That's the gospel. It's not about what this person is so evil or, or, or this sin that we're trying to exalt. It's, it's, it's about looking at the fact that we need a savior and that this world needs a savior and that we're all messed up and we need one to pull us back together to reconcile us and to redeem us. That he might be able to work through us. That's, that's the message here. Because they were vulnerable and they looked around and they said, could it be him? Could it be me? And then notice as he, he goes down here, those very familiar verses to many of us, as he jumps down here, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. When is a church on fire? When does God bring revival? What are one of the big signs of that? When there is that kind of love. That's not interested merely in sitting in the pew next to somebody. But being a part of their lives. When God begins to connect us. People look at that and they say, man, what is it about them? I just thought they were religious nuts. They just had to be in church on certain days and do certain things. But now that I've got to know this person, there's something there. That's Jesus. That's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a love here that goes beyond the differences and it's what connects us. Let me close with this. I know I'm out of time here. Um, it's easy when we become merely spectators, we get critical. You know, what's the old saying? Um, we're not called just to sit on the premises, but to stand on the promises. It's not enough to sit on the premises. Um, maybe you've heard this. I thought this was cute, but it kind of kind of says it well. So I'll close here. Latest news reports, there are five terrorist cell groups operating in churches. Church security identifies these as been sleeping, been arguing, been fighting, been complaining, and been missing. Their leader, Osama bin Lucifer, <clears throat> trained these groups to destroy the body of Christ. The plan is to come into the church disguised as Christians and work within the church to discourage, disrupt, and destroy 
the pastors and people of God. A tiny cell known by the name Ben Workin is actually the only effective counterterrorism force in the church. This group appears to be weak. It's easy to detect because it's the only group that is active in service to Christ. Unlike the true terrorist cells, Ben Workin does not blend in with whoever and whatever comes along. Ben Workin visibly does whatever is needed to uplift and encourage the body of Christ. We've noticed that the Ben Workin cell group has different characteristics than the others. I love this part. They've been watching, been waiting, been praying, and been longing for their master Jesus Christ to return. And then he closes with, which group do you belong to? Let's pray. Father, as we've taken some time this morning to think about our role in the body of Christ. It's not about me getting my way or getting my preference. It's about the kingdom of God. And it's about you being the one we worship. The one I worship. I pray, Father, as you continue to work among us, uh, this particular fellowship known as Kingsway Baptist Church, Father, that we might look to you, not that we're not allowed to disagree, because obviously we do, but that what matters more than our disagreements is the one we agree about. That we have a hope in Jesus Christ that brings us to be part of that Ben Working group for someone bigger than us, and that's you. That others may see that there is hope, that there is one who loves them, and that there is someone worth living for, and that's you. So I pray, Father, that you might work among us. What do you want to do this morning as the altar is open to pray, um, as we have opportunity to turn to you? Dear Jesus, we need you. Maybe someone here has never prayed and asked you into their hearts, to their lives. Today's a good day for that. Maybe there are others here who are your children, but for whatever reason are distant, drifted away. It's easy to do that, Lord. Bring us back close. Just, God, we just want to listen to your voice and say yes. So do your work this morning among us. And may we leave here and say, thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.